There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome, and thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks for joining me tonight on my radio show and for tonight's First Five. A lot of conservatives and Republicans around the country were pretty upset over the weekend when the details sank in about the budget deal, the two-year budget deal, reached in Washington this past Friday. This is a budget bill passed by a GOP-majority House, GOP-majority Senate, and, of course, the White House uh, is uh, held by a Republican. And there are many people who thought, my gosh, you know, we work so hard on so many issues, and this budget deal is, uh, it looks like something the Democrats would do. And I'm going to give you some highlights of it, but then also give you a few talking points and just thoughts what you can do about it. But first, the, the highlights. This two-year budget deal funds the government at 110% above the rate of Obama-era spending. I'm not talking absolute numbers, percent above Obama-era spending. It suspends the debt ceiling beyond, conveniently, the 28 midterms. There is zero embrace in this budget of the $54 billion with a B spending cuts outlined in President Trump's proposed budget, which we talked about at great length in the show months ago. This budget will increase, uh, will create a $1.5 billion budget deficit just this year, $1.5 billion this year, largest spending increase in Washington since the 2009 stimulus. It increases the budget caps by about $300 billion over the next two years. A little bit of good news was that the budget deal gave more to the defense spending, desperately needed defense spending, $165 billion to the Pentagon and $131 billion to non-defense spending. More disappointing and upsetting to many conservatives is that this budget deal fully funds Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider. Keep in mind that most Republicans who ran, House and Senate, ran in part on the promise to defund Obamacare. And just a few weeks ago in the March for Life in Washington, again, House Speaker Paul Ryan said, we are committed to defunding Planned Parenthood. But there you go. Nothing in this bill cuts funding to sanctuary cities. So in many, which was a, another core GOP uh, platform, position, promise that was very much disappointed. It has $10 billion in it for infrastructure, $2.9 billion for child care. I had this flash of thought today preparing for this show, thinking what George Washington or oh, the early founders would have thought of a budget item for $2.9 billion in the federal budget for child care. Okay, and it funds $90 billion in disaster relief. So having said that, it's a budget-busting budget. Uh, there was an effort by Senator Rand Paul, you know, who's a libertarian, not really a Republican, he's libertarian, uh, and he actually caused a, a several-minute shutdown of government early Friday morning, late Friday night, late Thursday night, early Friday morning, trying to say, and he used the expressions, the day of reckoning will come. We can't keep spending He tried to do that. But, you know, then again, you have to consider that for most conservatives, the reason to go along with this budget was to fund the military, which has been 
nearly starved to death under the President Obama's eight years in presidency that is truly suffering all the branches of the military in, in many, many ways, in weaponry, in salary, in uh, supplies, in, in, in big things like ships and planes and small things like what, say, what there are, are many soldiers need have, have been lacking. So that was a big pull. That's not a pull for Senator Rand Paul, who's, as a you know libertarian, is pretty much uninterested in national defense uh, unless the you know barbarians are at the gate so anyway Rand Paul tried to raise that point I'm grateful for that I do know that many conservatives were frustrated and disappointed to see other conservatives in Washington Senate and House who voted for this bill and that's what I really want to talk with you about tonight about our role in all this defense spending is the main job defense of the country is the main job of the federal government defense spending is required to have a national defense, a formidable, you know, truly worthy national defense. And that's what drove most conservatives in the House and Congress to go ahead and vote for this otherwise budget-busting deal. And if you're a conservative, imagine if you ran on and said, I will be sure the military is adequately funded, and yet you have your very close division, Republicans, Democrats in the Senate. We only have the majority by one in the House. You had some Republicans wouldn't vote for this. So I'm getting at, what do you do when you're an elected official— and you want, and the other thing that drove many people, at least our own Senator Ted Cruz, who, who did vote for this, was the need to have disaster relief spending in Texas and other places truly still devocated, de- devastated by last year's hurricanes. You just, it's some funding you had to do. So this is a struggle for serious conservatives is we need to send reinforcements to Washington, House and Senate, so the conservatives who try to stand strong on limited government, limited budget, have the ability to do that. That is one huge thing we can do. Second is convince our fellow citizens, be citizen patriots, trying to get the word out to more Americans to re-embrace the idea that the federal government should be limited. We really should not think as Americans that the federal government is your mommy, your daddy, and your nanny, and your provider. They're not. They're supposed to be the federal government. We come back after the break. I'll talk a touch more about this federal budget vote. And then we're going to turn to what should the Republicans run on in 2018? A little bit of a battle brewing between Newt Gingrich and some other folks. Talk to you after the break. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. 
America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear and welcome back. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you folks, if you're listening on radio, thank you so very much. And thank you uh, for tuning in both from the Dallas area and also if you're listening in our Phoenix, on our Phoenix station, 960 AM, The Patriot, or in Colorado Springs, AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Love talking to you every single Sunday. So thank you so very much for tuning in. I also want to say thank you to our sponsor of this show before I launch off of my next topic, because I want to be sure to say 
I couldn't do the show without them. The sponsor for America Can We Talk is called GC Works. They're a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Couldn't do the show without them. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, first of all, thank you for watching on Facebook Live. I'm attempting to have um, my, I have my iPad in front of me. I'm going to try to read some of your comments. So if you happen to comment during the show and I can pick it up quickly enough, I'd be happy to try to respond to your comment. I'm not sure this is going to work, but I'll give it a try. Um, also, I uh, want to encourage you, if you're listening on Facebook Live, to know that we cut off. We do this show in eight segments. We cut off the recording at the end of every segment and come back so you don't have to listen to our commercials because that's not that interesting. So if you're watching this and we cut off with segment, come back again in four minutes. We'll be back on for our two-hour show tonight of America Can We Talk. Okay, what I wanted to say, one more point about the whole budget thing is this. I am grateful in America that we have groups, uh, one is Club for Growth, but many other ones, Heritage Foundation, conservative organizations that keep tabs on how our elected officials vote, why they vote the way they do, they score their voting. I know many elected officials don't like this. They feel frustrated. I think it isn't fair maybe that there's, you know, they get ranking from some organization that maybe didn't give them as good a score as they wanted, but we need watchdogs in this country, watchdogs on Congress on not just this issue, not just the budget, although that is not what we're talking about right now, but we need watchdogs on every single subject, watching our elected officials, not because they're bad people, but because they get to Washington or Austin, if we're talking about the state capital or your state capital, they get there and they get pressure from all sorts of groups to vote to support a particular point of view, many groups that can give large donations to elected members of Congress. So they have pressures on them from from their caucus, from the, whoever heads up their caucus, from their constituents who happen to visit them, from their brother-in-law who's in such and such business and he wants that business protected somehow. Endless pressures on the elected members of Congress and certainly pressures on them from the um, organizations that rank them and begin to impact their popularity. So another way, because this budget thing, you know, every time the Democrats are in in charge in Washington, the Republicans are anxiously worried about the budget and the debt. My gosh, we're over 20 trillion in debt. We can't survive. And, And then the Republicans come in and do this budget buster. I think there are reasons for it that are are more noble reasons than sometimes what the Democrats do, because I think the Democrats buy votes by expanding the welfare state, by expanding the handouts. They are the they are the head of the nanny state of America. But Republicans have to be accountable to the broader principles, too, that we say we stand for. So support groups that keep uh, our watchdog groups on members of Congress so they get a message, hey, our 20,000 members or our 200 million members, whatever they have, you know, are watching you and we want you to do this. That is how you can be in part a citizen activist because this budget thing is not a minor problem. It's pretty darn huge. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to hit, um, and we have a great guest coming up at 630 named Gordon Chang. And um, I will tell you, I have a new view of the Olympics when he's done. He's an expert on North Korea and China. I mean, politically and monetarily and trade policy. The guy's he's written uh, many books. He's all over the media. He's just a real great expert. So we're going to turn to foreign policy at 630. But to finish, I wanted to say um, where we are right now in 2018. You know, we're only in early February and or almost mid-February. And there will be before we know it, the midterm elections in 2018 in November. 
And the GOP, the leadership, the pundits, the, the people who have influence in our party, uh, those people are starting to weigh in and talk about what should our theme be? What should we, the Republicans, run on so we win the midterms, so we hold on to the Senate, so we, or maybe even expand our, our leadership in the Senate? And I heard something recently. I think we are going to hold on to the Senate, I believe. But on the House side, you know, that is a volatile, every single member is up every two years. There will be people, you know, just uh, there are elected members who have primary opponents. They, have, they certainly have uh, Republicans, I mean, who have Democrat opponents in the fall. So this whole what should the party run on is a big discussion. And I want to just say, Newt Gingrich, whom I respect, his intellect, I respect his writing. He's a good explainer. There's nothing that compare with the value of the contract with America, which he came up with. Brilliant. But what he has been saying in this current election cycle is what we have to do in the fall to talk to the American voters is focus on tax cuts. Everybody's got more money in their wallet. Everybody's got more to spend. Everybody's going to feel it. They're going to see it in their paycheck. And this is our theme. The Democrats want to raise your taxes, and we Republicans, we cut your taxes. Look at the money you have. Now, I believe me, I'm a fiscal conservative since time began. I believe firmly in limited government, and, limit, and, 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 and I always want more Americans to be able to hold on to more of their own money. I think it is a compelling argument. It is certainly something to be bragged about on the GOP side and not apologize for. Having said that, the underlying issue floating around in the American conscience, especially in GOP primary voters, the same voters who chose Donald Trump among the 17 candidates we had in the GOP primary to be president, 17 candidates, they chose Donald Trump. What they chose, in part, was someone who stood up for the idea of America. Someone who was proud to say America is a good, noble country, and we need to defend it in every way. So one thing I think that the Republicans would be just extremely wise to consider doing in this election cycle is to embellish on that, to talk about the idea that we the conservatives in this country value the identity of America and therefore the notion, the idea of citizenship in America, that we do support the idea of legal immigration, but we are the ones standing up protecting America, saying we have to have an immigration system that protects the American citizen. We have to have a wall at the border. We have to have a, a rule of law that says you can't just come here, sneak in, and all of a sudden, don't worry, the Democrats will vote for to give you everything you want, citizenship and welfare benefits and every other thing. Because I think the heart and soul of America, we want to be kind, we want to include and invite immigrants, and we want to hear someone in Washington saying that Citizenship matters. The American identity matters. It matters if you say that we are going to have an immigration system primarily focused on preserving the American economy, preserving jobs for American citizens, preserving the culture of America. And and pointing out, by contrast, Nancy Pelosi stood up all day long, stood up all day long in the House floor 
to argue on behalf of illegal immigrants, people who do not have a legal right to be here. And but get this clear, by the way, if you don't know this, that Republicans have offered through this one particular bill, Bob Goodlatte's bill, to say on the DACA people that to give them a legal status, they're not saying kick them all out. This Goodlatte bill, which now has, I think, is 95 sponsors, co-sponsors on the Republican side, is saying they can stay here. But they don't get a special path to citizenship. They don't get a special path to green card. They simply can stay here in their status of DACA and every three years renew their status. They're giving them a reprieve from deportation. And they're saying at the same time, you don't get a snap of a finger citizenship here in America. You have to have laws that apply the same to everyone. And this is a winning argument in this upcoming election cycle. Nancy Pelosi stood on the floor of the House arguing for illegal immigrants over the rights of Americans. And she didn't stand up. She would not stand during this day of the union when President Trump was pointing out that there are literally, uh, the lo- there's literally the lowest unemployment rate for black Americans in history. Lowest unemployment rate. And she sat on her hands, could not clap to celebrate the American economy and that the black unemployment rate is low. The, the unemployment rate for women is low. She could not celebrate that. She couldn't even stand up and clap. Or she could stand there for eight hours arguing about illegal immigrants, which in many cases what she's saying is let them come here and take jobs Americans need and Americans need. Let them come here with all sorts of demands on changing our laws, bending our rule of law so that they get exactly what they want when they want it. There is a very noble course has that an idea has been proposed by the Republicans in the Bob Goodlatte bill, which has to do with the idea that the DACA people, people who have, don't have a legal status here, can be protected without throwing aside the entire American rule of law. The core of the argument of the Republicans can be in part on this we stand up for the American citizen. They stand up for uh, illegal immigrants over the rights of American citizens. Okay, there's more on this, but we're going to go after a break in a moment here. I want to tell you, coming up after the break, changing subjects, Gordon Chang, fabulous expert, is going to talk to us about all this inside stuff happening inside the, uh, the uh, Olympics that you couldn't see on television. Come right back after our break. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether in Forming the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. 
IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I was trying to adjust the camera here so you signal, Greg, do we have our, no, okay. We're still trying to get Gordon Chang online. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little bit more about him. And if we, I hope we get him because he was, I just was emailing with him today and uh, just, he would be a great guest. So I want to just tell you something about what he was going to talk about and hopefully uh, we shall reach him. But um, here's the basic thing. He's, uh, this is a guy who has, Lived in China. I'm going to pull this up. He's a Chinese-American. He's author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, released by Random House 2006. Uh, He's a columnist at the Daily Beast. He's lived and worked in China and Hong Kong for almost two decades. I mean, he's an absolute firsthand expert on China and North Korea. And he writes about all sorts of things about uh, China and North Korea, about their uh, their economies and their um, and governments, and so he had this interesting thing about um, uh, 
what was happening in North Korea, I mean in South Korea, at the Olympics. I thought it was just the coolest thing. So, wait, are we, okay, he's signaling me. So, Mr. Hi, Gordon, do we have you online? Hi. Hi there. Okay. I was just starting to tell your story, so I'm glad we have you. Um, to finish our little introduction for our guests, I mentioned before the break, we had Gordon Chang joining us. Um, and he's just a, well, my husband and I actually went to Washington and heard him speak at a conference, and I jumped up afterwards and said, gosh, I'd love to get you on my show. He's spoken at um, every great college and uh, Heritage Foundation, all the places that um, the serious conservatives go to talk. So what I wanted to hit on, because, um, Gordon, you wrote this column I thought was so interesting, and I, I, I'm going to tell you, like, 0% of Americans watching the Olympics thought along these lines, so I wanted to have you talk about it. Your article was titled, Pence uh, at the Olympics, Vice President Pence Faces South Korea's Appeasement and North Korea's Aggression. And it's funny, because I think a lot of people tune in the Olympics thought, wow, this is great. North Korea is, you know, they've sent a little contingency, they have people there, but you were talking about the delicate balance that Vice President Pence was walking, or the, or the uh, issues he had to be thinking about at representing America um, in this odd situation in South Korea. So I'd love to have you share those uh, those thoughts with our guests. Yes. You know, we do look at those images on the Olympics, and I was watching them last night um, when we heard Mike Tirico talk about the uh, women's ice hockey team. And, and this is the idea that you both have both South Korean and North Korean um, athletes playing together on the same team. Well, what they didn't talk about on the television was that South Korean athletes were turfed off their own team for a political reason, so that the North Koreans could play on the joint team. And although Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, likes this, and he's sort of pretty much pro-North Korean, South Koreans don't like it at all. They're furious. And it's not only the so-called conservatives um, who don't like anything that Moon likes, but it's also a good portion of Moon's base, the young voters. And the reason is young voters in South Korea are see their society separate and apart from North Korea. They're South Korean nationalists. Moon is a Korean nationalist. He sees one Korean state. So therefore, he wants reconciliation with Kim Jong-un. And that means you have a lot of South Koreans who are very unhappy that the North Koreans are taking over the place of South Korean athletes. Okay. I, I just found so much of what you wrote about this really uh, just very enlightening and, and honestly a little bit alarming. I think that also from America's perspective, you look most people look at North Korea. We just we feel horribly sorry for the millions of people living there in poverty and starvation and misery and frankly ignorance because they don't have access to the world and to the internet. But so we assume, therefore, that South Koreans that have prosperity and liber- liberty and and a, a kind of more normal Westernized to a degree society. And the idea that the elected leader of South Korea has hopes of reconciling with North Korea is simply mind-blowing. I I mean, yeah, go ahead. It is mind-blowing. But Moon Jae-in comes from a generation that is virulently anti-American. He's 65. He's the generation that fought for democracy in South Korea. And they fought against the generals. And the South Koreans of that generation thought that the United States was backing the generals. And so, therefore, there's this perception that we are the enemy of representative governance in South Korea. And (laughs) that has translated over into this view that, you know, North Korea is just another Korea. Um, And that eventually, you know, with the United States 
We'll get off the peninsula. We're the ones responsible for the division of the peninsula into two parts. You know, ridiculous notions. But nonetheless, that's the way that they feel. So you have a situation where there is this group in their 50s and 60s who are pretty anti-American. On the other hand, you have many older South Koreans who remember the Korean War, who remember the sacrifice. Yep. And Vice President Pence, on way back on Air Force Two, after leaving South Korea, talked about how he saw those signs where people thanked him, the vice president, because his father fought in the Korean War. So those people do remember the sacrifice of America for South Korea. I saw that. That had to be very touching. In fact, uh, Vice President Pence said it was very touching to have people there remembered that Pence's dad had fought there. Very tender. But, you know, that back to this whole Olympic tension, uh, I, I just think it is uh, astonishing that people who have any clue how uh, repressive North Korea is could have even, to start with, chosen to elect a very left-wing president of South Korea. I mean, how does that even happen? Well, that happened because his predecessor was a conservative, uh, Park Geun-hye, the daughter of uh, Park Chung-hee, who was um, in many ways the, the father of South Korea. She got into—she's basically tone deaf. Um, she ended up um, with friends with someone who took advantage of her um, and used that relationship for corrupt purposes. She was impeached. Um, a constitutional court last mm. March um, confirmed the impeachment. So she lost her office. And that made the conservative cause in South Korea extremely unpopular. Now, Moon's election had something to do with his North Korea policies, but it more had to do with the revulsion against his predecessor, plus also really um, a number of economic issues. And so you put all that together, it's a very toxic brew, and it meant that Moon got elected. Now, Moon probably is not going to be the—he's going to be the only leftist president in this string. But you got to remember that in South Korea, we've had strings of leftists followed by conservatives. It's a very closely divided electorate, and that's why you have um, two types of presidents in South Korea, some leftists and some uh, rightists. Don't you think it was a great thing that Vice President Pence brought as a special guest, I believe, seated with him or near him, the dad of Otto Wambayer, the the young man who was murdered by the North Koreans? Did you think it was a good move? That was an excellent move. Vice President Pence on Friday did some things which were really good and some things which perhaps weren't so effective. But the things that he did which were effective were three of them. First of all, he visited the memorial of, for the Chonon, which is a South Korean frigate that was torpedoed by the North Koreans in March of 2010, 46 sailors killed. And so Pence visited the memorial, basically reminding the South Koreans of the hostility and the aggression of North Korea. Also, um, Pence visited uh, defectors who are now sort of considered just to be escapees. Um, and so that and, and that was an important thing, also reminding the South Koreans of the human rights situation in North Korea. And then, as you mentioned, he brought uh, Fred Wambier, the father of Otto Wambier, who was killed. He was brutalized by the North Koreans, um, died last June. So this was very effective public diplomacy on the part of uh, the vice president, reminding the South Koreans that, yes, there's a lot of hoopla because the North Koreans are in town. But nonetheless, you got to remind them of the, the just the horrific nature of the North Korean regime.
Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're only going to have about a minute left here, so I wanted to turn and quickly ask you, you thought it was a good idea in President Trump's State of the Union that he highlighted the cruelty of the North Korean regime, and, and they had the young man there who'd been injured, who'd been badly injured, the whole coal train, uh, train track thing. But is that, why did you think that was helpful? Is it, is it that maybe it embarrasses Kim Jong-un or that it emboldens? I mean, how does that help the situation? I loved it, but how does it help uh, with North Korea? It reminds the American people that we're dealing with a regime that has not only got nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles, but it's a danger because of the nature of the regime. You referred to Ji Sung Ho, who it's just an inspiring story of escaping from North Korea. Yep. And that is important. You know, we now have a president who is more concerned about the human rights of Koreans than the president of South Korea. Very anomalous. Love that. We are speaking with Gordon Chang, and I'll tell you, uh, his website is gordonchang.com, and it's a little bit distracting because when you go to it and you start clicking on articles, commentary, everything is fun to read, everything is interesting, well-written, a very, very, I just thoroughly enjoyed your website. And also, Gordon, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Oh, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Okay, folks. Gordon Shang, I'll tell you, I, I am serious about this, getting distracted when I'm trying to get ready for this show. Really great commentary, really thoughtful guy. And sometimes we'll have him on again to talk about trade policy at, with China and, and, and China and the buildup against North Korea. Lots of great stuff he knows about. So we're going to zip off to a break here. And when we come back, I want to tell you what the latest is on the Mueller-FISA gate. This is, this is criminal. Come back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? 
Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back. Man, that was a fast interview, that last segment. I just, this Gordon Chang gentleman we just had on uh, just a few minutes ago in the last segment. Uh, as I say, my husband, I heard him speak in Washington. And among the many things, he was so informative and, and so, uh, because he's so familiar with it, able to speak just, just kind of conversationally about the relationship between China and North Korea and how China is really uh, both the uh, enabler and the buffer and the possible, you know, uh, influencer within North Korea to contain, you know, the world's uh, single most dangerous tyrant, you know, just just tyrannical government. And um, so and there was there was a story originally why I emailed him was there was a story about Chinese troop movements, troops building up along the border of North Korea, the Chinese troops pushing their border, their uh, their troops along the border of North Korea. And I wanted to ask him how he read that and what he thought about. It. But anyway, uh, short interview. We'll have to talk to him again sometime. Um, and I just appreciate you know experts like him helping us understand um, issues. And really, as you, if uh, you anyone listening, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and you can read the articles that we talk about tonight because I think they're all posted there. I believe they're already all posted, um, and they really make you realize how much was happening behind the scenes. It was great to see Vice President Pence at the Olympics and, you know, America's there and it's this time the world comes together. But all of this uh, intrigue isn't exactly the right word, but these serious political tensions. And North Korea, uh, one thing that happened while uh, they were there was North Korea has announced an invitation to the president of South Korea to visit North Korea. And again, when you're hearing Gordon Chang talking about, well, 
you know, the South Korean president, he's he's pretty dang leftist. He's pretty much a leftist. So, you know, the idea of him, of a very socialist, you know, left-wing government, I mean, maybe they're evil and repressive, but they're, he's more in their ballpark than he is in the American ballpark of liberty. Honestly, astonishing. So Vice President Pence was kind of navigating all that. Very, very cool stuff. Okay. And, and important for America. Important to have. Uh, and I, as I have said many times, I'm very grateful for, and I was glad to have Gordon Chang uh, confirm, grateful to have a president, President Trump, who will call out the evil of the North Korean dictatorial, brutal, just horrific regime and the millions of North Koreans who live in abject poverty, misery, fear, and no way out. That's their life. And so very akin to when President Reagan was able to refer to the evil empire, this North Korea this is today's evil empire. Well, them along with the uh, radical Islamists, but North Korea is a truly evil thing, and to have an American president called out is great. Okay, so turning to what I wanted to mention, you know, this is like this ongoing story, and I feel like for the next year, we'll probably have some latest development um, related to what's happening inside the FBI and people calling it FISA Gate or Obama Gate or Hillary Gate or whatever, they, what gate they want to call it. It's an ongoing, unfolding, an unbelievable picture of corruption inside the National Security Agencies of America, Department of Justice, and the FBI, and essentially the Obama administration orchestrating the weaponizing of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the uh, Department of Justice against a political enemy, Donald Trump. The latest, the, the little piece I wanted to hit on briefly was you all know, last week we had John Guandolo here. And if you didn't hear that interview, by the way, fabulous interview. John Guandolo was great breaking down how, how far afield from normal required FBI procedures um, the FBI was in the way they went about getting this, using the, the uh, Steele dossier, the Russian dossier, to get a FISA court warrant to spy on Trump. Very, it was excellent. Three-part interview. Fabulous last week. This week, so last week we talked about, too, the Nunes, the House Intelligence Committee, the majority, the Republican majority, uh, released a memo after getting clearance from the FBI and after running it by President Trump, who had final say, they released it. And it basically said what many people on the right had been saying all along, which was the FBI essentially got a search warrant, a FISA surveillance warrant against to basically spy on the Trump team. It was against Carter Page, an individual, but it was to spy on the Trump team. Complete, just disastrous manipulation of the um, rule of law. But what's happened since then, I want to be sure to make clear about it is, so now the Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee have come up with their own memo, and their ch- the, uh, the chairman is Nunes, who's Republican, and then the vice chairman, or I'm not sure what his title is, but he's the Democrat head of that committee, um, is this guy named Adam Schiff. So the Schiff, like S-C-H-I-F-F, Schiff team, the Democrats, came up with their memo. What they did, it now appears obvious, is, you know, the reason the Republicans had to run their memo by the FBI, Department of Justice, before they could release it, was to make sure it did not contain any national security secrets, anything that would endanger or in any way interfere with the um, ongoing uh, rule of law and, and ongoing investigations being conducted by the FBI. So they did that. They, they followed. They complied with what the FBI said. Well, the Democrats wrote their memo, and they want to have it released. And 
They and, and President Trump, who has ultimate authority, has five days after he's, the request is made to him to decide whether or not to release it. He said no. So immediately the media's in hyperspin and the Democrats, oh, my gosh, this is you know, double standard. Republicans get to tell their story. We can't tell our story, blah, blah. Well, what they did, and this is really great because I read that this uh, Don, um, Bongino guy, Don, Dan Bongino, whatever his name is, uh, the uh, former FBI guy who's fabulous, he had tweeted out, you know, I bet the Democrats stuck stuff in there. Um, that was that was a uh, national security secret or otherwise, you know, impermissible to release in order to force President Trump to have to decline to release it. So they could then point at, you know fingers at President Trump and say, see, see, he's you know, he's not being fair. He released Republican one. He won't release ours, blah, blah. Well, I guess apparently that's exactly what happened. President Trump, um, in fact, tweeted out, you know, that uh, nice, nice. I don't know what his tweet was, but basically nice try. The Democrats tried. The Democrats deliberately did a set play to force President um, Trump to have to say no on releasing their memo because they, they had to go back and redact things, take things out that should not be released. But this is just game playing by the Democrats. Not impressive. Do not buy into the media arguments. Oh, my gosh. You know, this is a unfair, a double standard. What was really happening was very, very serious. And, and, and inside the FBI and the Democrats are in a very bad place right now. The Democrat Party in Washington is a bad place because it appears the Obama administration, along with the Hillary Clinton campaign and all of her little, uh, you know, pals in the universe of, of, you know, Democrat Party leadership, went out of their way to use the FBI to spy on a political enemy. So this is the controversy they're trying to avoid having you understand so in order to have you uh, distracted by their latest spin, they put out this, oh, my gosh, terrible thing, uh, what um, Donald Trump did. But in addition to that, um, I wanted to mention a couple of things, because I think that as we talk about in 2018 elections and what the Republicans should stand up for, and they certainly should run on tax cuts, I think they should run on we're the party that stands up for America and wants to keep Americans uh, employed and safe. And we want to have American policy that serves the interests of the American people. That was what Trump ran on and won handily. And this is what I think will help the Republicans. And that the Democrats basically are just saying, we're the party of no laws. We're the party of the illegal immigrant. We're the party of illegality. We're the party of abandoned rule of law. Let them have that. The other thing that's coming becoming clearer is all of this Mueller, FBI, FISAgate stuff is starting to penetrate voters to the point that there was a poll, an Investors Business Daily poll, uh, and, and is an IBD slash TIPP poll, that basically found this week that the voters in this country, uh, 72% said that they are closely and or very closely following what the FBI did in the 2016 election cycles, and 55% say they now believe, only based on what they've been told, despite, you know, that the media goes out of their way to ignore the story and they try to pretend it's not there, and um, 55% say it's likely the Obama administration improperly surveilled the Trump campaign during the 2016 election cycle. And uh, again, a majority said that uh, a special counsel is needed to investigate whether the FBI and Department of Justice improperly surveilled the Trump campaign during the election cycle. So my point is, the voters are getting this. We need not to, this is not, and you know, it can sound like it's a tit for tat, well, they did this and we say that and they say that. This is about 
whether you have the integrity and the nobility of the precious rule of law and and a a government that does not serve the interests, uh, a Department of Justice and FBI that does not sit there to serve the interests of the political party in power, but rather serves the interests of the rule of law and the American system of government, which should not have the government funded, you know, the people paid for by our tax pay, by our taxes, using their office to spy on the political enemy of the sitting president or of the political enemy of the party they happen to favor, which is Hillary. So the people are waking up to this. And I think also just a bit, there's the bigger thing of this, about this whole FBI thing that I think is becoming clearer to people. It isn't just that Donald Trump uh, really had his campaign um, very severely damaged by the um, Democrats, but really what you're starting to see, and I think is sinking in more and more with the American people, is that you have, and people say, what is Obamagate? You know, is it is it just that, you know, he kind of, he covered up for Hillary, which he did, um, in the whole email scandal that President Obama kind of jumped out ahead of it all and said, oh, nothing to see here. She's great. She didn't do anything wrong. So he's interfering with the FBI. He's He's okaying her violation of federal law. But on top of that, This is a pattern, and people are starting to see a pattern. This is President Obama, who actually weaponized the IRS against his political enemies. This is banana republic stuff. Weaponized the IRS against his political enemies. He used the Department of Justice. We've talked about this in the show before. Punishing uh, punishing companies and and taking the fines those companies paid to avoid being persecuted and giving that money to left-wing causes. We have his in the being in the middle of wiretapping Donald Trump immediately after he became the presumptive GOP nominee, the whole Democrat apparatus and the media they control in Washington, pushing the narrative on the American people. There was a conspiracy between Trump and the Russians when it was Hillary Obama and the Russians who committed a conspiracy against Donald Trump and against the American people. We have the Podesta email leak showed the wide corruption of the Democrat Party. I say all this to say there is never going to be a day when, I don't think, when the Democrats are going to say, look, you know, we we really messed up. We're going to step back. We're going to start over. We're going we're gonna to admit our wrongdoing. It is up to the vigilance of the voters and the American people to hold people accountable and to recognize a pattern of conduct that's settled in at the highest levels of the Democrat Party that we have to say has no place in America. I'm Debbie George Jazz, America Can We Talk. Come back after the break. <laughs> 